Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. When we come into the sanctuary of our church building on Good Friday, there's a strange feeling, a, a strange calm that comes over us. There's a hushed silence that envelops us. Most of the, the worshipers here this evening are, are not communicating much with each other except in, in hushed tones or with polite nods from a distance. The organ music is, is muted and toned down. The lights are dimmed. The chancel has become silently eloquent with its bare furnishings and, and its black pyramids. Everything that touches our eyes and our ears here on this evening indicates that this must be a special day in the lives of this worshiping people. And it is a special day. It is, in fact, a good day. It is Good Friday, made good, not by what we are doing here tonight, but by what God did 2,000 years ago. It is the memorial day of the death and burial of the Son of God himself. We stand in astonishment at the foot of his cross. We simply can't completely fathom and understand the great mystery that the divine, the almighty, eternal Son of God shared so completely and intimately in the, the nature of us lowly human beings. It's simply incredible to us that the Son of God should partake of mankind's well-deserved end, namely death. This is a mystery that the Bible tells us that not even the angels in heaven with their superior intelligence and understanding can fathom. So how then could we hope to fully grasp and understand this amazing mystery? Yet God himself told the story of his son's death through the Apostle John, his trustworthy spokesman, so that we might know the blessings of that special death. There are important lessons for us to be learned here at the foot of our Savior's cross. John tells the story in the simplest words. Our text at, at the beginning of our reading in John chapter 19 takes us to what is now known as the Via Dolorosa, the way of sorrows in Jerusalem. The heavy burden of the cross had been placed on the shoulders of Jesus. Without a word of complaint, he drags that heavy load. Every step he makes bearing that load is more and more painful, especially since he had already been brutally flogged and beaten and had a crown of thorns pressed down onto his head, piercing into his scalp. John then proceeds immediately to record Jesus' actual crucifixion. But there is very little information that is given to us about the crucifixion of Jesus. He simply writes, There they crucified him. There are no blood-curdling details. There's no chilling description of this agonizing scene as the nails are pounded through his hands or wrists and, and his feet into the wood of the cross. And then as he is raised up, John records that two other men, criminals, were also crucified with Jesus. And we learn from the, the other gospel books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that even though those criminals were suffering that same terrible punishment and, and torture, that same terrible fate that Jesus was, 
They even joined together with the crowd who was there mocking and, and gawking at Jesus. They joined in also mocking Jesus. Since he claimed to be the Son of God, but now he appeared that he could not even save himself. However, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, who had sentenced Jesus to death that day, he was used by God to correctly identify Jesus, both for the people who were there watching and mocking and for all people of all time afterwards. In verse 19 we read, Pilate had a notice written and fastened on the cross that read, Jesus, the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Unwittingly, Pilate becomes our teacher here at the foot of the cross. We learn to know the identity of this one who was crucified. Jesus, who spent his early years in Nazareth and Galilee, is truly the king of the Jews. He is king. Because according to his human nature, he is a descendant of royalty, of the royal line of King David. And he is the king of the universe. Because he is the one who created all things. God also revealed this through the Apostle John in chapter 1 of John's Gospel. Through him, that is through Jesus, everything was made. And without him, not one thing was made that has been made. And God tells us that Jesus not only created the world, but that he will also judge the world as its king at the end of time. And as king, he willingly became our substitute. It was our guilt that condemned him. Our sins, in a sense, fashioned the cross that Jesus was made to carry to Golgotha and upon which he was nailed. The cruel punishment that he suffered was, in fact, ours to suffer. It was the punishment that we deserved for our sins. But willingly, the king of the universe took the place of his wayward subjects. Christ suffered once for sins in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, the Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 3. So there at the foot of the cross, we learn the identity of him who was crucified for us all. And also there at the foot of the cross, we see the fulfillment of many prophecies that were given by God in the Old Testament hundreds and even thousands of years before these events took place. While Jesus was hanging there on the cross, the four soldiers who were responsible for nailing him to that cross and watching over him, they divided the pieces of his clothing among themselves. But there was one piece of clothing that remained, and when they saw that it was woven as a single piece of fabric, they decided not to tear it up, but instead to cast lots for it to see who would win it as a prize. And in his omniscience, the eternal, all-knowing God prophesied that this very thing would happen through King David in Psalm 22. They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And if we go back throughout the Gospel books of the Bible, we see that all throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he pointed to the Old Testament word of God as a pre-recorded record of his life, laying out the map of, of what he would do during his public ministry. And so earlier in his ministry, he said to the Jewish people, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. 
Moses, the, the prophet of God who lived about 1,500 years before Jesus, wrote about the Messiah who would come in the future. This is the amazing thing about the Old Testament, that it predicted the Savior's birth, his virgin mother, his birthplace, the, so many of the events of his ministry and the, the miracles that he would perform, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, and his ultimate victory and triumph. Where in all of the rest of the history of the world can we find one king about whom it is said, they have pierced my hands and my feet, as Psalm 22 prophesies. Or, he let himself be counted with rebellious sinners. He himself carried the sins of many, as Isaiah 53 prophesies. So we see that the Old Testament of the scriptures is more than just a historical record with words of poetry and wise sayings. No, it truly is the Jesus book because it tells us many things about our Savior. There at the foot of Jesus' cross, we learn to trust our Bibles, the very word of God. God's prophecies are fulfilled. God's promises can all be trusted. If doubt assails you, if, if temptations come about God's word and his promises to you, go back to the foot of the cross of your Savior. And there, God will deepen and strengthen your faith in him. He will assure you that all of his promises will come true for you. There at the foot of the cross stood several women who believed in Jesus, among whom was Jesus' mother, Mary. And the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was also standing there. And when Jesus saw them there in this agonizing hour, he knew that they loved him with a deep and abiding love. They loved him because he had first loved them. Jesus now wanted his love to be reflected in their lives, in the new relationships that were created there at the foot of his cross. And so Jesus said to his mother Mary, Woman, here is your son, referring to John. Now John was not able to replace Jesus in Mary's life, but she was to look to John for that filial love and respect that God wants children to have for their parents. And to John, Jesus said, here is your mother. As if he meant to say, John, let Mary be a mother to you. Love her and take care of her for my sake. She will need your care and your protection and your comfort when I am gone. And the text simply adds, and from that time, this disciple took her into his own home. So we see here at the foot of Jesus' cross was laid the foundation for all human relationships. The cross of Jesus is the foundation from which flows the love that unites family members together in deep devotion to each other. The love of God is reflected in the love of God's children for all the sons and daughters of God throughout the whole world. Is your family torn apart by strife? If so, come to the cross of Jesus for healing. Is the love that you as husband and wife once had for each other slipping through your fingers? If so, come to the cross of Jesus and let those dying embers of your love be rekindled 
by the burning love that the Lord has for all of his selfish and sinful children. If there is no harmony between brothers and sisters in your family, is your home the last place, perhaps, where you tend to show kindness and love for each other? Is your home the one place where you feel that you can let off steam, utter bitter words, and be your ugly self without punishment? If so, come to the cross of Jesus. And by the forgiving love of your Savior, restore the broken image of love in your family and in your relationships. Not only for your family, but only at the foot of the cross can we lay the deep foundation for all human relationships. Finally, at the foot of the cross of Jesus, we find the completion of our redemption. John was still there at the cross of Jesus, and he tells us, that, again, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, knowing what was going on in Jesus' mind, that Jesus knew that his life's work, his mission on earth had been accomplished. While his life was ebbing away in those last moments, Jesus became thirsty. His pain-wracked body cried out for some relief. From his parched lips came that pitiful cry, I thirst. A jar of sour wine happened to be sitting nearby, and the soldiers took a sponge and soaked it in the sour wine and put it on the end of a branch and reached it up to Jesus' mouth to give him a drink. And when he had received that drink, he cried out, It is finished. With that dying gasp, the world's redemption was complete. It is finished. Now the righteous demands of a holy God have been fully and perfectly met by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Now the justice of God against sin is satisfied. Now every sinner on earth has a Savior. Now every saved sinner can by faith become a servant of our sovereign King. At the foot of the cross, we have found the completion of our redemption. It is finished. And now, Judgment Day holds no terror for us. On that day, for Jesus' sake, we will hear the royal words of welcome. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Our destiny was firmly established on Golgotha at the foot of the cross.